0: You are listening to Overcomer's Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. The, um, last week, <clears throat> and really the last couple weeks, I've been talking about, well actually two weeks, three weeks ago I started before Ashley and Carly were here, did you guys enjoy having them here? Hey Amen. If nothing else, you like their accent, but man, awesome anointing! A lot of people were healed, uh, great words were given. So, I thank God for awesome guest speakers that can come and impart into us. Uh, but I started the week before they were here, uh, just really talking about kingdom and kingdom culture and what it's like or should be like living in the kingdom of God, because we're not looking for a kingdom to come. We are already in a kingdom that is here right now. And, you know, the the Jews uh, understood that there was coming a king that would set things in order. And when Jesus came as the king, and I'm going to explain all that in just a moment, all right? So when Jesus came uh, as the king, it, it was not and the manner, and the fashion that he thought he was going to come. Because, see, the church, a, the church age, the age we're in now, it was a mystery. And there basically is nothing in the Old Testament, um, probably some things, but it wasn't very pointed at all concerning the church age. It was a mystery. And so, when you go and you look at Daniel's Uh, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but 70 weeks, right? You go and look at Daniel's 70 weeks. Well, 69 weeks had been accomplished or fulfilled or had come to pass, and then they were looking for that time when that uh, that 70th week, which will be the seven years of tribulation here on the earth, they were looking for that time to come and for Jesus to set everything in order. But what they didn't realize is that from the end of the... um, I don't do. I'm not good at math. So, what's uh, 490 years, right? So, 483 years they had, and then there was a pause, and there has been a huge spance of time, and in that spance of time is the church age, and we've been in it for 2,000 years. But what's getting ready to happen is that the end of the church age is going to start Daniel's 70th week. So, in the book of Daniel each week that he prophesied about represented seven years. Is that right? Am I saying that right? Someone who's smarter than me. I'm preaching above my pay grade here, right? Come on now. Somebody, we're just going to go with it. No, I, I, I believe that's right. But each, each year, excuse me, each week that he prophesied represented so many years, and there was 483 years that passed, and they were looking for the fulfillment of that other seven years, thinking that when Jesus came or when the Messiah came, that he was going to set everything in order and it would be the fulfillment of that last uh, that last week or the last seven years of Daniel's prophecy. Uh, I can't go into it any more than that because it's about the best I know how to say it. I am not an end-time teacher. But my point in saying all of that, all right? I wasn't going to say any of that, but my point in saying all of that is that we are in a dispensation right now called the church age. And there is going to come a time when Jesus is going to come to this physical earth and he is going to set everything right, set everything in order. And the earth is groaning for the return of the king, Lord Jesus. Amen. And so he is going to come and set everything in order. But what many people don't know, don't realize, is that right here, right now, Because of our faith and because of our relationship with him, we are in God's kingdom right now. And even though everything in the earth is not fully set in order like it's going to be, it is set in order spiritually, and as much as we are willing to participate with, we can manifest that much of what heaven's reality has to offer to us. And this is why Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, pray in this manner. And he said, on earth... As it is in heaven. And I was I was thinking and I, and I like to ponder, I like to meditate and I really believe in um, not like Eastern meditation, right Not mm, not that kind of stuff. but meditation, just stopping and thinking and letting the Lord speak to your heart and speak to your mind is important. I probably spend uh, you know 10 hours of just meditating on the Lord and on his word, probably for every hour that I read, I've I just kind of guesstimated or whatever. So I really believe in really meditating on the word because you can read a lot and not really sit and think about what it's saying. And so when you think about the fact that he said to pray on earth as it is in heaven, he wasn't telling his disciples to pray something that was impossible to come to pass. Jesus was smart. He was telling them, pray this because you're going to need this. And when you think about the reality of what heaven is like, there is no whack in heaven. There is literally no sickness in heaven. And everybody, everybody understands this. Everybody understands this because you go to a funeral and, you know, so-and-so was older and they they passed away and maybe they were having issues or struggles. And you'll often hear the minister say or people say, well, they're not in their body anymore and praise God, they're free. They don't have any more sickness or sorrow or anything. and And I agree with that. And I thank God for that. But you know that we're supposed to experience God's best here on this earth right now because we are in his kingdom. We are a part of his kingdom and the, the realities of heaven are supposed to belong to us. And you know, I have, sometimes I have people and, well, that could sound harsh. I shouldn't say that. Let me just say it this way, that sometimes I'll have people tell me about all of their woes and problems. And look, I've got stuff that comes against me too. I'm not saying we don't live in a world That has things to overcome. That's why we named our church Overcomers Church International. Actually, the Lord gave me the name, and then after I named it, I was like, oh my gosh, we're gonna have some things to overcome. It became less exciting to me after a while. Uh, You know, so we have things to overcome, but sometimes I'll hear people talk about, oh, you know, it's just tough doing this and tough doing that, and it's difficult getting old and all of this kind of stuff. And I just, you know, I've learned to be a little bit nicer, and so I won't like openly rebuke them, but I'll rebuke their words in my heart. And, you know, I'll, you know, the word says that every evil tongue that rises in judgment, you shall condemn. And when people say, oh, you're just going to get old and sick and you got to die somehow, you got to go somehow, and your knees get weak when you get all, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, you know what? That can be for you. Now, I've heard people, older people say, you just don't know what it's like being old. And I'm thinking on the inside, well, you don't know what it's like being in faith. Hey, is God's word true or not? It's true. Listen, I'm not saying you don't have things to face. I'm not saying that our bodies and life and different things don't age. I look older now than I did five years ago and 10 years ago. Amen. the battle of the bulge is a real, live battle that we have to face, you know? Whatever, there's, there's stuff, but I'm not going to come into agreement with things that are different than the reality of heaven. I'm just not. I've just kind of determined in my heart, like, yeah, I'm going to believe God for his best. I'm not going to condemn anybody else for where they're at. That's no problem. I will love everybody, but I'm not going to come into agreement with, with a lesser reality. Earth is a lesser reality. It's actually not the more real reality. It's more real to us uh, as a whole because, honestly, human beings are so in touch with the fi- their five senses, what they can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, that it feels like it's more real. But I can promise you, what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel is a is an, if I can say it like this, it's an inferior reality to the spiritual realm. What goes on in the spirit actually determines what goes on in the natural. And we can either come into agreement and alignment with what God says and what his word says, or we can just kind of go by the wayside. And look, the, the awesome thing is you can put faith in Jesus and not really, uh, not really believe a lot of what he has to say, and God will still love you and you'll go to heaven. There's no condemnation. Amen. Praise God for that. But I don't want to just squeak by. I don't want to just live down here when God says you can live You can live up here. You know, it's interesting. Liz and I, we now probably more than ever uh, talk about uh, a blessing and finances and prosperity and uh, we, ha- we catch a lot of flack. We have a lot of people that, um, not so much her because she's too nice, I guess, but they, you know, call me a false prophet and a heretic and all this kind of stuff. And I think, you know, I said this this morning, actually, and I thought this, that was pretty good, you know, that, that God's in favor of prosperity. If, if he wasn't, then he shouldn't have blessed Abraham like he did because it says that Abraham was rich in gold and silver and livestock, Abraham was very wealthy, and you know why Abraham was wealthy? It was because of his covenant with God. He wasn't for any other reason. it was because of his covenant with God. And we talk about this a lot because we we believe that the reason that we're here is to see the gospel go forward throughout the earth. You know you can't if you are sick and broke and run over and messed up and don't have anything to offer, you don't have anything to offer. It takes money to preach the gospel. It takes money to go to Brazil. It takes money to do the things that we do. But, you know, God's arm is not short. It's just that people's uh, belief in him is a little bit short. And just the willingness to just trust God, that's where where we're coming up short in. And I have no problem saying that God wants me to prosper. You know why? Because I know my heart motives. I know my heart motives. And some people could look and say, man, you've got a pretty new Honda Pilot. And you know what? I thank God for that car. He's blessed me. But you don't know the seed that Liz and I have sown. You can't criticize what's... Nobody in here is saying that, by the way, but I just know how people are. People actually don't have a problem with prosperity. They have a problem with other people having prosperity. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. You can't criticize somebody's harvest until you've seen their seed. But our motivation, everything that we have in our life, I'd give it away tomorrow just like that if the Lord said to. Every dime I have to my name, every item we possess, it all belongs to the Lord. I don't even live off of a 10% principle or off of a 15 or 20 or 30% principle. I live off of a 100% principle. It's all His. All of it belongs to His. I know what to do with the first 10%. We tithe. Uh, but beyond that, Lord, it's all yours anyways, and you just tell me whatever whatever it is that you want me to do. But God, well, he wants us to live in heaven's best. It's actually, it's not, poverty is not holy. If it is, because some people, in, in particular uh, ways they've been raised in different things, they, they believe things along those lines. They may not put it in those terms, but they believe things like that. If anybody believes that, I would say, then you need to take all of your money. You need to take every possession you have, and you better run around naked with nothing to drive and no car, I mean, and, and uh, no house, no possessions. You better get rid of your toothbrush and everything, because all of that is a result of the blessing of the Lord. It's all a result of God's goodness on some level, even it's just because you live in an in, in America that's been blessed and you're just living underneath the result of it, and you didn't believe God personally, still, there's some blessing involved in that. And if anybody were to believe that God doesn't want us to prosper, if you really, really believe that, you should just get rid of everything. But people don't really believe that, they just, it's, like, it's like the enemy has capped them from believing that they should have more. It's actually a, a spirit of poverty, and it's wrong. Am I being too blunt, I, I don't know. you you guys be my gauge. am I being too blunt here? It's good for us to hear these things because I even find myself sometimes being like, oh, you don't you don't need anymore. You know what the more that I've had, the more I've been able to bless people with, the more ministries that I've been able to give into. I mean, man, we have things that will come up when when opportunities to give. It used to be we couldn't we could not. Put 50 bucks together. I mean, it was, remember that? I remember having, speaking of toothpaste and toothbrush, I remember having the toothpaste conversation with you on the phone in the store. We were, like one person says, we were uh, too poor to pay attention. <laughs> pay attention? <laughs> Anyways, I just explained it to you because I heard it and I didn't understand it for a lot of years. So, but you probably got it because you're smarter than me. But uh, I was in the store one time and man, we were struggling. And it was only because of just stupid decisions. It wasn't for any. We just did. We got ourselves in debt. We did just some stuff you shouldn't do, whatever, but he's, he redeems you from your distresses and your troubles. Amen. He's a good God. He, he didn't hold it against you. Uh, but I remember being in the store and she said, "By this and this and this I don't remember what the items were, but I remember I had a very strict list and only so much money. And when I was in the store, I remembered that I was out of toothpaste. And I called her and I said, "Liz." I need toothpaste. Can I buy toothpaste? Now, most of us, we just, we need, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot, I need some toothpaste. I need, you know, let's get some hamburger buns or, you know, whatever it is. And you just do it. That's how most of us live most of the time. But it was, it was, it was rough. It wasn't the Lord's fault. It wasn't even the devil's fault. It was just our fault. It was totally, it was totally 100% us. But, uh, you know, when I I started to really lay myself over on the Lord, and give myself over to him. And I'm like, you know what, God? I'm done being in charge of me. You are in charge of me. And actually, what happened is that it was so bad. I said, Lord, this ain't working right. Tell me tell me why this isn't working right. And he said, well, you've become Lord over your finances. And you've not allowed me to be Lord over your finances. And I said, well, that seems not like a very smart thing to do. So I'm going to change that. And I said, sir, it's all yours. And you just tell me what to do. And I said, I said, what's, what do you, what's my first order? He said, well, you need to start tithing. This is after Bible college. You would have thought a Bible college student would have been smarter than that, but I wasn't. We went to Bible college, and I heard more messages on tithing uh, in two years than I could possibly repeat to you, but we still had not gotten to a place to where we could trust God with it. And it was like it hindered us. It stopped us from growing and maturing in the things that the Lord had for us because we couldn't trust him with, with money. It's actually the least area of trusting the Lord. Sometimes people feel like they've arrived when they come to a place of tithing, and I'm not being critical of where anybody is at, but the Bible actually says it's the least area of trusting. If you'll be faithful in that which is least, he'll make you ruler over much. If you're believing God for for big things and dreams and visions and ministry and helping and all of this stuff, but you can't trust him with what's in your hand now, you're not going to be given the more if you can't trust him with what's in your hand now. Because if you're not stewarding well the little, why would he give you more to not steward well? Come on now. Amen. No condemnation, just just some plain talking. But when we started to obey the Lord uh, and trust him, we got to a point to where we weren't struggling anymore. Like it was like, hey, we could. they want us to go out to dinner. We can actually go out to dinner, and we're not going to put it on a credit card. We actually have the cash or the money to do it. I felt pretty good. And then it got to a point to where, uh, you know, and I'm not... I'm not some wealthy person. If one of the boys' kids said something like, your parents are really wealthy. And they're like, oh, no, they're not. And I thought, you know what? I am a wealthy man, amen? God's blessed us with this awesome property that we can't afford, but we're living there anyways. It's just awesome. And uh, so, but we got to a point now to where, you know, when there's opportunity to give, because the Bible says um, that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9, I believe it is, that you'll have an abundance. To, he makes all grace abound, towards you that you may have an abundance to give unto every good work as you have purposed in your heart. And there was nothing that pained me more than to sit and hear about somebody in need or about a missionary going somewhere or about just just a friend who needed something or just the desire to give and bless somebody or whatever it was. Nothing pained me more, which was actually a good thing, than to see that and not have the funds to be able to do it. See, it's not about heaping up on self, but if you don't have anything, then you don't have anything to give. And what caused us to think differently, and actually after the first of the year, Liz and I are going to teach together on the spirit of mammon, and its it totally changed our entire life. It was so awesome. Um, but is when we got around people that were thinking bigger than how we were thinking, and they had right motives. See, there was a lot of teaching that that went through the church, that went through the but. I haven't forgot about that anyways, by the way. All right, I forgot about that. Um, but there was a lot of teaching years ago that, that went through, and there's still some, about prosperity. And, pros- and, it, and it got off because it got into, like, I remember this guy one time, and he was talking about um, finances and prosperity. And he was taking scripture verses, and he was teaching. So the truths that he, were, he was giving were actually accurate. They were correct. They were from the word but he was standing there and he had like a Rolls-Royce in his driveway and like several other fancy cars in his in his house was ginormous now i'm not against anyone having a Rolls-Royce or having a ginormous house i hope you get one and if you get one of those oh, uh, huh now buy me a huge truck that's what i would rather have i mean anyways whatever uh so um but anyways So if you get any of that kind of stuff, I'm going to rejoice with you because I want to see you increase and be blessed in your life. But I remember seeing that as a, I was probably 18, 20, and I thought something ain't right about that. Something's not right about that. And I heard a couple other guys, I would watch them on TV, and I realized that there were certain people that they gave a black eye to prosperity. And the reason is because they were talking about prosperity and it was all about heaping it upon themselves. That's not the reason why we're supposed to prosper. Liz quoted the verse earlier out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says that he will give us power to prosper or to gain wealth that we might establish his covenant in the earth. It was true back then with the children of Israel. It's even more true now. God wants us to have so that we have something to give. Praise God. So just learning to uh, operate within uh, principles, truths, realities in his kingdom will put us in a better place. And it wasn't just that we're like, okay, God, we're trusting you and we're giving. That was the biggest part of it, but we we took some practical advice too. We stopped spending more money than we were making. You know, just having I mean, there's really practical things too. Seriously, there's a whole practical side to it. You know, because I I've met many people that they will give 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 and they struggle and and they can't figure out why they're struggling, and it's because they spend all this money on all kinds of stuff. Here's my deal. I had I heard one guy say one time. He was one of the. Oh uh, oh, uh, he was a uh, the leader of Brother Andrew's ministry, not the leader, Andrew is, but this uh, CEO of his ministry. And he was a retired, very wealthy businessman, and uh, really helped take Andrew Andrew Womack Andrew's ministry to the next level. And uh, and I was listening to him minister one time, and he said this. He said. You can only drive so many cars. You can only walk on so much carpet. At some point, it is beyond what what you need. What are you here for? What is the purpose behind what you have? And you know we've even talked about like we like to go out on um, you know, this is just super practical, but we like to go out sometimes on on the boat. Uh, we have we have a small bass boat and we sometimes we'll take the boys out on that and go out like on a, on a lake. And it had been a few, two, two years probably since we had done it. And we did it this last year, and we had about, I don't know, 800 pounds in a 400 pound, 450 pound weight limit boat. And uh, it just wasn't the same as when they were little or whatever. And so then we talked about like, could we, maybe we should buy, a, buy a, a pontoon boat. And then I said, we don't have time for a pontoon boat. Why would we buy a pontoon boat? Maybe if we have a day where we can go do that, Well, just go rent a pontoon boat. That sounds better than paying all of the the insurance or if you don't pay cash, the payment and all that kind of stuff. So you could just use practical wisdom with stuff. The idea of prosperity is never about heaping things on yourself. It's about having something to give. When God says, I want you to open up your hand and bless, you say, yes, sir, all of this money is here for you. It belongs to you. All I am is your steward. It really is, is as simple as that. But if we think wrong about finances, and we think wrong about prosperity, then you're going to find yourself not having as much as what the Lord wants you to have, or at least not moving in that right direction. I believe God wants me to have way more than what I have right now. But I am way further along now than where I was because I I obeyed him, obeyed his word, and have just remained in faith. But my heart motives are pure, and the Lord knows that. So I I have no problem believing God for tons of money. Amen. Because I've watched how I've been able to bless people and the work of the ministry because of it. Hallelujah. So the reason I'm just talking about, I just, the Lord, the Lord. as soon as I started talking about that, he said, I want you to spend a couple minutes on that. Um, and we're still getting to know each other, right? A lot of you in here are getting to know me anyways. And so uh, for me to be able to share my heart on some of those things is important because people will hear me, you know, say things like I believe in prosperity, but then their mind, they're like, oh, he's just You know, he wants Cadillacs and yachts and mansions or whatever. And it's like, no, that is not what it's about. Now, I'm not going to turn down the blessing of the Lord. Actually, the boat that I have, somebody gave it to me. We came home from a camping trip, and I opened the garage door, and there it sat. And they blessed me right. They bought the boat. They gave me a thousand dollars to pay for all of the taxes and and all of and buy life jackets and all that kind of stuff and even put brand new tires on the trailer because it was used, but it was nice. That's how you bless somebody, amen. And I wouldn't just turn that down and be like, oh, I'm a pastor, I don't want a flashy boat or anything. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. God cares about things that we want because I literally, we were on a camping trip and I told Liz, I said, I wish we had just like a little boat where I could get in the car with the boys, truck or whatever, and take them and we could just go fishing at the drop of a hat. Go home, open up the garage door and there is a boat. You don't think that was God just giving me a kiss? You better believe it. He cares about his kids. He cares about his kids. He cares about us. He wants us to be blessed. And th- these are the realities of living In a kingdom that is so vast and so big, we think in terms uh, so often down here, um, especially when it comes to finances, but almost like, but even in a lot of things, almost like, you know, God can do so much, but when it gets to a certain point, we don't say these things, but we act sometimes. Like, well, he's about ready to run out of money. Or I don't know if he can, he might be able to heal part of me, but I don't know if he can heal all of me. I had a lady recently, she came up for prayer and I said, what do you need? And she said, well, I need, I need a lot. I got a lot going on in my body. But she said, we better just pray for, and she named whatever it was. And I stopped. I was like, oh, and I got her attention. I was like, oh, it's too big for God to heal all of it. And she was like, oh, well, you're right. I guess we could just pray over all of it. And I said, yes, absolutely. I'm not being critical of her. We've all kind of thought things like that or whatever, you know? So, well, we need to have, we need to continue to expand our thinking, and believe that God, if, you know, if He's given us Jesus and He's given us His best, the Word says in uh, Romans, I believe it's chapter eight, I believe it is. It says that um, if He has freely uh, not spared His Son, I'm paraphrasing here. All right, how will He not freely with Him? How will He not with Him also freely give us all things? Someone tell me where is that verse at? Romans chapter 8 is in Romans chapter 8. You can go look it up later. I'm not going to take the time now. So if God, who didn't spare his own son in blessing us, why would we ever think that God would ever withhold any good thing from us? The truth is, is that on this side of the cross, it it actually is not the Lord saying, Well, I'm going to bless you, or I'm I'm going to bless you. Because, see, like with Abraham. The covenant was made with Abraham, and that, that blessing got funneled through Abraham and through the children of Israel. It wasn't to the rest of the world. But when he came and he blessed the world through Jesus, it was to the world. Now, not everybody receives it, but it is literally to the entire world, and the work has already been done. There isn't any more work to be done. The work is already done. Really, the work that we're supposed to do now is just to labor to enter into his rest. That's in Hebrews chapter four. We just labor to enter into his rest. The striving and the struggling isn't to get God to be on your side. God is so on your side. He is so on our side. He is so on our side. The laboring is just to come to a place to where we just trust him. We're just resting in that. Hallelujah. Uh, I've got, a, it's 7.20, and I want to take 15 minutes and finish this up. Can you guys give me 15 minutes? Oh yeah, I heard a resounding yes throughout the whole room. Hallelujah! All right, so last week let me give you let me give you a a, a two minute, uh, which means five minutes, but I'm shooting for two. Um, recap of what I shared on last week. Did you all get something out of that that, that long rabbit trail? that the Lord told me to go down. Hallelujah! If you got a problem with it, take it up with Him. So, um, I was just talking about you know the reality, and we're gonna go to Romans chapter 14 if we can pull this up on the screen so everybody could see it. But Romans chapter 14. And just talking about the reality of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, which I believe there's a difference between those things, but I also kind of think that they're one and the same. It's both realities and kingdoms that God is a part of, and we are also a part of. Uh, Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. And this is right in in the midst of talking about things that Are important and things that are not important. And he was saying, Look, all the stuff about eating and drinking, all the do's and don'ts, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I was reading this one day, and all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me so clearly what this righteousness, peace, and joy really was about. And it really came on the tail end of a lot of years of studying righteousness. I love the topic of righteousness. It's probably my most favorite thing to study in the word, because if you can understand your position with the Lord, it will change everything in how you believe, how you perceive yourself, how you perceive the Lord, and even how you perceive other people. It changes everything to know where you are at with God, because a person who doesn't know that they are right with God is a person who is... Um, either extremely self-righteous or extremely self-condemned. Because if you don't know that you're right with God because of what Jesus has done, what he has given you, you you, then you are trying to become righteous in your own eyes. And you're either so upset at your performance that you live in condemnation, or you think you're so awesome that you're in self-righteousness, and the Bible calls that a filthy rag. But see, when you understand the righteousness that God gives us in Christ Jesus, it actually makes all of the realities of the kingdom available to you. They're actually available to you once you get saved and you become right with God. But they really are not really accessible to you until you understand that you are right with God. Because people have so much residue in in the realm of their conscience and your conscience is really your internal decision maker. And they have they have so much condemnation in the realm of their conscience that unless they have been trained by the word and allowed the word to wash their thinking and wash their, their conscience, they go to the Lord with a heavy conscience, not even coming close to touching the, I'll call them higher realities or the the favor and the blessing because they're still down here at a place of trying to work to get to a place that God says that they're already in. And all they're in is either in self-righteousness or self-condemnation. And self-righteousness is is proud and God resists the proud. He resists the proud. So if if you're in self-righteousness, you're prideful, you're not going to receive anything that way. But if you're self-loathing, self-condemning, You're you're still focused on your performance, but you think that you're not good enough, which actually is true, but you don't realize that God, through Christ, has already made you good enough. So this is a complete paradigm shift in thinking to see ourselves the way that God sees us. And if we can see ourselves the way that God really sees us, we won't question whether he wants us to have something or not. And actually, this is so simple. If everybody understood this when they got saved, it would just be easy. But but between the enemy condemning people and accusing people and religion teaching people out of the blessing of God, those two things combined have really messed Christians up big time. But if you can just see who you are and what God says about you and the fact that he's made you right through Jesus and your wrong stuff doesn't undo his right stuff, if you could just very plainly see that, you come to this level um, secure place in Christ to where you stop wavering up and down. And see, I still I after I got a revelation of this, I still struggled. I still had wrong thoughts and issues and problems or whatever. But once I got a hold of this, I stopped thinking that God was relating to me based off of my performance, and I realized He's looking at me through the blood of Jesus. Now he wouldn't. He's not uh, condoning wrong actions and sin and things like that. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that God's love and favor and grace and blessing don't change towards you based off of how well you perform. Because if they did, we would all be in trouble. (laughs) Because, I mean, you know, what sin is it that really makes you not right with God? Because in James it says, um, to him that knows to do uh, good and does it not to him, and it's a sin. So even when you didn't read your Bible as long as the Lord told you to, or you didn't love somebody like you should have, or you didn't help that person like you knew you were supposed to, and you really knew, and you didn't do the good, that you're, that's a sin. And and the law is like this. Uh, I, I heard it explained like this. Brother Andrew explained like this, and it changed my thinking forever. That the law is like, you know, it's like a window. And, you know, you can, you can throw a huge rock through that window or you could just barely tap it and crack it. But either way, no matter how you break the window, you still broke the window and the entire thing has to be replaced. Whether you have a little bitty sin, like in our eyes, or some great big huge sin, either way, you're defiled before God and your only hope is to put trust in Jesus. But once you've put trust in Jesus then he gives you a new plate glass window that is super strong that you can't break. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just came out. But, you know, you can't mess it up anymore because it's based off of Jesus' righteousness and not yours. And if you really know that, you'll never abuse it. You'll never abuse it. You could maybe have some issues and struggles and have some residue in your thinking that you got to work through. Man, we all got to grow up. But you're growing. you're growing up. The best growing up you can do and become is actually a fruit of righteousness and not at um, not trying to be a root of righteousness. You see, a lot of times when people look at Galatians chapter 5, and it talks about um, the, the fruit of the Spirit and the, and the works of the flesh there, and it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I used to read that and read it and feel so condemned because I didn't feel like I was doing any of it very well. Anybody anybody else been there? And, uh, you know, and I realized one day that all of that stuff is actually a fruit of our position, our right standing with the Lord and the Holy Ghost, and it's not about me performing. And then when I just came to this place of like, you know what, God, you accept me. And so here I am in the middle of all the mess, all the stupid stuff that I've done, said, and even things that I'm still in and still dealing with, here I am. But I know that you made me right because your word says so. I know that the blood of Jesus was more than enough to cover my past, present, and even future tense sin, and that you, you dealt with me based on, and you deal with me now based on my new righteous nature and not my old sin nature, which is gone, dead, buried, and is no longer a part of me anymore. When I, get, when I came to that, I'm like, all right, God, now, help me clean some things up. And as I spent time with the Lord, then all of a sudden, fruit began to manifest in my life. And I would say this to you, that joy and peace are manifestations of the reality of the right standing that we have with the Lord. Because if you're trying to get to all of these things, whatever you want to stick in there, whatever fruit of the kingdom Whatever fruit of the Spirit, whether you're talking about the the nine fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians, or you're just talking about any kind of manifestation or blessing, if you're trying to, to obtain, walk in, manifest any of that, but you still think that you're not right with God, you are always going to try to grab those things through performance and not through grace. It's inevitable. You're going to try to get those things, obtain it, walk in it based off of God. Okay, I think I've done good enough. Now you can't ever be good enough for God to heal you. You can't ever be good enough for God to save you. You can't ever be good enough for God to bless you or any any of that stuff. You can't. It's impossible. So you might as well just forsake all that thinking. Say, thank you, Jesus, for the free gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace. And because of that, I'm going to reign in this life with you righteousness is the reality of our position. It is the real reality of our position. And you say, well, how how are you really right? You still deal with flesh. One-third of me, I heard it said like this, one-third of me is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. One-third of me is completely perfect. My spirit man has been totally made clean, new. Uh, Years ago, People that were preaching this, they were called new creature preachers. And I thought, lately I adopted that, and I said, I'm going to take that on. I like that. I'm a new creature preacher. I'm a new creation in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. And because of that, one-third of you, your spirit, man, is completely made perfect, sealed, perfected, made just like Jesus, and your, your flesh issues don't determine your position with Christ. If it did, if it did, I mean, literally the only way, the only hope for any of us, get saved and then boom, instantly kill that person. So they go home and be with the Lord before they have any chance to sin. That literally would be, I'm, like I used to say that as a joke and then I got to thinking about it. I'm like, actually, that's, that's actually true. I mean, the odds of me or you not doing something fleshy in the next week, all right, the next month, okay? I know you guys are better than that. Let's give you a month, all right? The odds of me or you not doing something fleshy, Something wrong in the next month, it's pretty slim. We're probably gonna have some thought, some action, some something. And if it was really based on your actions, that's all it would take for you to be separated from the Lord. It's not based on your actions, it's based on the actions of Jesus. Righteousness is the reality of our position, peace is the assurance of our position, and joy is the expression of our position. Let me show you the Holy Ghost job because this, this, this word says here in Romans chapter 14. In verse seventeen, it says, "The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in what the Holy Spirit." Go with me to John chapter sixteen, and we're going to finish here. John chapter sixteen. Man, isn't this good stuff? I love this. Every time I talk about this, I'm like, God, I feel good. Good news will make you feel good. I was uh, with this person one time, and uh, they had gone to the, this this meeting. They were telling me about the meeting, and I said, how was it? And they said, well, uh, I don't feel like I've been to church unless I've had a good spanking. I was, that was what they told me. I thought, oh. And they were so accustomed to, you're a rotten sinner, and you better get everything straightened out. And, blah, and it was just every time coming to the altar and crying and begging and pleading, and that was their idea of a relationship with the Lord. I mean, if that's what it took, I mean, sure, I'd be willing to do that, I suppose. If God's God and that's how he's got things set up, I'd do it. But that's not how he has things set up. (laughs) And we don't have to be spanked. Amen. I mean, sometimes as a loving father, he's like, knock it off, all right? We've all experienced that. And I thank God for those things. I thank God for the Holy Spirit helping us when we need help. But he's a good, loving God. He's not looking to beat us down. Hallelujah. Good news will make you feel good. Sometimes we're not as accustomed to hearing and feeling good like we should be. Jesus came to restore everything. You know, do you think in the garden before sin that they felt bad? No, they run around stark naked. Now, I'm not saying that if you feel good, you should take your clothes off, right? This is, we still live in a fallen world, but you know, I mean, but they didn't feel bad about anything, they just were. They were just there with God. We're not supposed to. Now, the Holy Spirit will help you when you do something wrong to say, don't do that. You're going to bring harm to yourself or to somebody else. Everybody understand what I'm saying here? All right. So in a sense, you can, quote, feel bad about that, but you're not supposed to live condemned. Condemnations of the devil. Listen to this. I'm going to give you something here in two minutes. I said 635. I got two minutes here. I'm looking at the clock back there. And I want to show you this. This is um, this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm I'm going I'm going to open up a can of worms, and I'm going to leave it open, and then you can do study on your own. Hallelujah! And here in Ro- uh, John chapter 16, and we're going to go to verse five, and I'm going to read a few verses here, four or five verses. It says, "But now I go away to Him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going, but because I have said these things." to you sorrow has filled your heart nevertheless i tell you the truth it is to your advantage that i go away for if i do not go away the helper will not come to you but if i depart i will send him to you i think a lot of times people would love for jesus to come back here on the earth but what i really think is that we need to come into a greater reality of what we really have in the holy spirit because jesus said it's better for the holy spirit to be here than for him and when he has come he will now listen to this He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. He says that the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So if you're looking in the King James Version, it actually says, um, what's the word? Does somebody have the King James, original King James? Is this, what does it say? Uh, I'm sorry, instead of convict, what's the word for convict? Reprove, reprove or convince? Reprove? Uh, reprove. That Okay, I knew, I couldn't remember the exact word, reprove. I think another translation might say convince. And so I've had some debate with people, not really debate, but just conversation with people about this. I personally, I'm reading out of the New King James, don't think convict is the best word because in our terminology, when we think convict, now sometimes we'll say the Holy Spirit really convicted me. And I don't think that that's wrong, but sometimes it can be be an overexpressed word or too much of a word to really express saying the Holy Spirit made me aware of something. Because in our language, in the, in the world, like in Christianese, we're like, the Holy Ghost convicted me. And what we mean is like, he told me, you need to stop doing that or you need to become aware of this problem. And we all understand that. But in the world's terminology and even some Christians terminology, when you use the word convict, it carries the idea of punishment and sentencing. So I'm not a big fan of the word uh, convict, but if you want to use that word, that's probably okay. But listen what he says, though. He says he will convict the world, or you could say reprove, or convince, or bring awareness to, or help them understand. All of that would fit in there just fine. He will convict or convince or reprove the world. And that word world there, I, I forget the exact Greek word, but it's actually talking about not the system that's in the world, but the but the earth. It's talking about the earth. And then you have to pay attention to the wording here because he gives different groups of people, all right? He says, and when he he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin, because they do not believe in me. Who's they? Wasn't the disciples, because in the next verse, he addresses the disciples, They are the ones, I'll say, on the outside, the unbelievers, that he's coming and convicting them. And here's the deal. He's not convicting them of all of their individual actions that they've done wrong. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't do that or on occasion won't say, knock it off, you're doing wrong things. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit coming on the earth to the world, to them that don't believe in Jesus... The reason he's convicting them is because they need to be saved. And his conviction to the world is you can't save yourself. Your nature is one of sin. You need to come to Christ and receive a new nature. Agreed? That's what he's convicting the world of in terms of the unrighteous or the non-believers. So of sin because they, the world, the people outside, do not believe in me. Now listen to this of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. It's the ones that know him. He's convicting them of righteousness, not of unrighteousness. so foreign to so many people. And people are like, oh, the Holy Spirit was just really convicting me of my sin. No, he wasn't. Your conscience was, if you're doing something wrong, your conscience was saying, knock it off, fool. (laughs) And I'm not saying the Holy Spirit wouldn't help in bringing things to light. I'm not saying that, all right? but the Holy Spirit's job to you and I as believers is to convict, convince, reprove us that we are righteous. <laughs> you know why he has to like convict, convince, reprove us? That's a strong language. You know why he has to do that? Because people don't automatically believe it. Because you and I were born into this world after the seed of Adam, and we were born into a fallen state. And when we get saved, we come out of that fallen state. But then we need somebody to convict us, to convince us that we are actually right with God. So here you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of people telling them I love you, I care for you, you're right with me, come to me, let me minister to you, let me let me help you, let me get you past this. And then you got preachers standing from the pulpits telling people that the Holy Spirit is convicting them of all of their sin and you better watch out or God's going to get you kind of messages. Totally 100% wrong. It's not the Holy Spirit's job with believers. For the 70th time, let me say that I'm not saying the Holy Spirit won't help you out of your sin. If you're sinning, he will bring it to light and he will help you out of it. Do not misunderstand me. But what I am saying is that the conviction he's bringing is to get you to see who you are in Christ. Because when you see yourself different, you will act different because you will believe different. When you see yourself different, you will believe different about yourself and your actions will change. How I used to think and believe and act, I look at myself now and I think, a prince would never do that. I'm the son of a king. Why would I get in the gutter with the pigs? I don't want to put something before my eyes that doesn't belong. I don't want to partake of thinking that doesn't belong to me. I'm a son of the king most high. And why in the world would I ever want to boldly, time after time, even though you can, go into his presence and say, "Uh, you know what I've been doing. I don't want to do that. I want to come in and say, thank you for setting me free from what I used to be doing. Now, show me what's next. Only a confident son and daughter could do that. Only someone in close relationship with the Holy Spirit can do that because the Holy Spirit has been convicting them. (laughs) We'll We'll use the word convict. It has a sentencing to it. He's been sentencing me to heavenly thinking because he's convicted me righteous through the blood of Jesus. But it's not because of my righteousness, it's only because of Jesus' righteousness. It's a free gift. Of sin, because they do not believe in me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. In other words, he was saying, the work is done. I'm going to my Father, the work is done, it's over. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. When he's talking about the ruler of the world, sometimes that's confusing to people because they're saying, well, I thought God was in charge of everything. Well, he's in charge of the earth, but the system that's in operation in the earth right now is the devil's, it's Satan's. He's the prince of the power of the air. And so there's a system that's in operation of this world, but he's already been judged. And so when you have a righteous believer, have the enemy come and say anything that's opposite of what God says about us, we can stand up and say, wait a second, we both received our judgments and God's judged me righteous through the blood of Jesus. And he's judged you into hell and then ultimately into the eternal lake of fire. You are nothing. You are nobody. And revelation reveals to me, devil, that day and night, you never stopped to accuse the brethren. You never stopped trying to drag me into your court system and, and, and bring accusation against me that Jesus has already declared me free from. I'm not going there. As a matter of fact, yeah, I need some healing in my body, but you're not going to convince me that I'm still not right enough with, with God that he won't heal me. You can't convince me of that because... I could never be right enough to be healed. It's a free gift. <laughs> Hallelujah. Man, I love this stuff. This is awesome. Y'all getting blessed by this? Amen. Hallelujah. These are good building blocks for a relationship with the Lord. It makes it fun. It makes it fun. You know what? There's, this is a continued work that has to continue going in people's hearts and minds. Uh, because part of the reason that I didn't have fun pastoring it wasn't because I didn't think I was right with God, but I still, I still had some kind of almost like performance in me feeling like I got to be at some level before I've really accomplished anything. You know what? I literally, everybody could leave me. I don't, I don't want people to, but everybody could leave me, have nothing to do with me, say, so I don't like you're preaching. I don't like how you're leading. I don't like how you're whatever. And me and Jesus are going to be just fine. The more secure I've become in him, the more secure I become as a person, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, the more fun I have. God wants us to have fun. (laughs) He wants us to experience peace because of our understanding of this. And then ultimately, we just have joy. We're just joyful. Amen. Thank you all for listening. You gave me 10 minutes longer than what I asked for, but everybody knew I was lying when I said that anyway, so it's it's no problem. <laughs> Hallelujah. Love you guys. Love what God's doing here. It's an awesome work. It's a good work. This is good ground. Hallelujah. We're going to keep pressing forward and see awesome things. And I just want to say this, that I was actually had a phone conversation with somebody today, and I was talking to him as a, a family member, and I was talking about, the two church locations and um, just how things are going and different things and he was saying oh in a quick amount of time you're gonna have I said you know I used to think everything in ministry would happen really fast and almost none of it does it takes time that's why you know when you think about growing and building those are kingdom ideas uh, they're church ideas it takes time for things but we're here for the long haul let's let's build together let's plant together let's plow together. Amen, and it's going to be good. We'll set our hand to the plow and be able to reap the harvest of many souls and uh, many families raised up. Hallelujah. Amen. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociparibill.com.